Amazon turns heads by selecting New York and Washington, D.C. as its new second headquarters. The Florida recount efforts get uglier. And President Trump goes after the French? This is The Ben Shapiro Show. Now listen, while I love mocking the French as much as the next guy, it's always more entertaining when President Trump does it. We'll get to that in just a second. Plus, Alexandra Ocasio-Cortez now finally has a, a platform to stand on. The platform is she hates Amazon, which is a weird platform, but we'll get to all of that in just a second. First, let's talk about keeping your home safer. Today, over a million people use the amazing Ring Video Doorbell to help protect their homes. Ring knows home security begins at the front door. It doesn't end there. So now they are extending that same level of security to the rest of your home with the Ring Floodlight Cam. I'm somebody who takes security incredibly seriously, particularly when I look out at the political domain and I see Antifa descending on Tucker Carlson's home. And that's one of the reasons why I have great security at my house. And that security includes Ring. Ring has that amazing doorbell that allows me, when I'm 3,000 miles away, to see exactly who is ringing the doorbell at my house. Very often, burglars will ring the doorbell at your house before they actually rob you to make sure that you're not home. Well, they don't know you're not home if you're picking up the phone and you can check to see who exactly is at your front door. Also, right now, the floodlight cam is a motion-activated camera and floodlight that connects right to your phone with HD video and two-way audio that lets you know the moment anyone steps on your property. You can see and speak to visitors. You can even set off an alarm directly from your phone. With Ring's floodlight cam, when things go bump in the night, you will immediately know what it is. Whether you're home or away, the Ring floodlight cam lets you keep an eye on your home. Right now, save up to 150 bucks off a Ring of Security kit when you go to ring.com slash Ben. That's ring.com slash Ben. Again, this is a great service, ring.com slash Ben, and save up to $150 off a Ring of Security kit. Okay, so, lot to get to today. We begin today with the announcement by Amazon that they have found their next headquarters too. Now, there was a big year-long search for where they were going to locate their second headquarters. One of the reasons, nobody will talk about, that they are trying to start a second headquarters is because the business climate in Seattle has really gone south. Amazon is not the first company based in Seattle that has started creating headquarters outside Seattle. Boeing famously did this a couple of years ago when they went down to South Carolina with one of their latest plants because doing business in Seattle was too expensive thanks to leftist governance. Well, Amazon had announced like a year ago that they were going to open up a second headquarters. Now they've decided that they're going to open a second and third headquarters. They're going to split that second headquarters. Are they going to locate it in a distressed town in Ohio or Pennsylvania? Are they going to restart industry in a part of the country where industry has been falling away? No, of course not. They're going to locate it in New York and Washington, D.C. So after all was said and done, they're locating this thing in Crystal City, which is basically a bunch of cement buildings just out of D.C. And they're going to be locating it in Queens, which happens to be the home district of, you guessed it, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. They've decided to move into Xi Guevara's backyards. That's, that's very exciting stuff. According to the Wall Street Journal, New York City and Northern Virginia will be the homes for Amazon's second and third headquarters, according to people familiar with the matter, ending a more than year-long public contest that started with 238 candidates and ended with a surprise split of its so-called HQ2. In other words, they gave the runaround to 240 cities and then picked the two cities everyone figured they would locate in, the one nearest to legislative power and the one nearest to financial power, New York City and Washington, D.C., the imminent announcement is expected today, according to the people. Other cities may also receive major sites, some of the people said. So the second headquarters is divided evenly between New York's Long Island City and Arlington County's Crystal City neighborhoods, which are both located directly across from major city centers. They're saying there will be approximately 25,000 employees in each location. It is unclear exactly what the deal was. Now, Amazon was sort of pitching this publicly so that people could be making overtures to them, you know, tax breaks, tax loopholes, subsidies, 
And it's not clear what either city did, Crystal City or New York City did, to draw Amazon there. Suffice it to say, I'm not in favor of business subsidies from government. I don't think taxpayers should be subsidizing businesses, just as I don't think the businesses should be taking advantage of, of taxpayers. With all of that said, what really should be happening is all the tax breaks available to major corporations should be available to every business in a particular area. If New York thinks it's drawing business by paying off Amazon, wouldn't it be drawing more business by lowering the tax rate on all the businesses already in New York? Wouldn't that be a good way to draw more business to New York? It's amazing how the logic seems to go out the window when it comes to leftist governance in major cities. They're willing to offer all sorts of goodies and incentives and chocolate sweets to various companies to come in and they will cherry pick the companies they want to come in, but they won't lower the overall tax rate and regulatory burden so that more businesses will just enter naturally. In any case, New York City Mayor Bill de Blasio, who's a communist, discussed the Amazon deal Monday night during his weekly television appearance, although he didn't confirm that the city had been officially selected. He was hopeful that HQ2 would come to New York City. He said, we're talking about the single biggest economic deal, development deal in the history of New York City. Again, if you really want to make an economic development deal for New York City, you just get rid of a lot of the taxes and regulations and rent controls and all of the idiotic policies Bill de Blasio has followed that have alienated a lot of businesses from New York City and to other places in the country. Amazon is also moving to New York in order to face up against Google because Google is also looking to expand into the city. Apparently, Alphabet Inc., which is Google, is going to add office space for more than 12,000 new workers, which is an amount nearly double the search giant's current staffing in the city. Amazon had recently been in late stage negotiations with several locations, including New York, Crystal City, and Dallas. Aside from the GHQ2 decisions, Amazon may also announce other cities have won big projects. One of the reasons, by the way, that Amazon is moving to Crystal City is because it is number one close to DC and number two, it's close to Jeff Bezos, who's the founder of Amazon and has his house over there. So in sheer size and proximity to Washington, Reagan National Airport, Metro stops and other transportation, Crystal City was an attractive prospect for Amazon's ambitious second headquarters plans. Also, it is largely in the hands of a single developer, which means that they can grab as much real estate as they want. There's some bad traffic over there. The real reason they're moving there is highly educated populations, access to capital, access to regulation, re regulatory control, regulatory capture. One of the things that people need to know about big business is that big business and capitalism are not identical. Big businesses take advantage of whatever profit there is to be had even at the hands of the government. They are not shy about going to the government for help. And this is a case in point of Amazon doing just that. It's also a case in point of, you know, Amazon's been doing that with regard to food stamps, for example. There's been a lot of talk about how many folks who work for Amazon are on food stamps, and people blame Amazon for that. Well, the reason that Amazon can pay those people low wages is because food stamps are available. And overall, the rip on Amazon, that Amazon is a terrible, terrible employer, is simply not true. Well, Regardless, so, so my general points are two. One, when business comes to a city, it is good for the city. Two, when businesses come to a city because the city is paying the business to come to the city, that is ripping off taxpayers. Both of these points can be true at once. Alexandra Ocasio-Cortez in New York is very, very upset about Amazon moving into her city for one good reason and for mostly bad reasons. So here is what she tweeted out today. Our favorite congressperson, who thinks that I can't call her. She says, we've been getting calls and outreach from Queens residents all day about this. The community's response, outrage. So first of all, I really, really doubt that the response of Queens to a massive company moving into Queens and bringing 25,000 jobs was outrage. I can't name the number of cities that, like really, I don't think any cities exist where people are deeply, deeply outraged overall about major companies moving into their midst, except 
for the fact that there are a certain group of people who are afraid they won't get jobs from Amazon and are afraid that upward pressures in housing and gentrification are going to push them out. I assume those are the people that Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez is talking about. And the reason that all of that is happening is specifically because of policies that Alexandra Ocasio-Cortez pushes. The policies that she pushes include rent control, they include wage subsidies, they include heavy regulations of business. All of these policies are likely to result in less employment in the area and upward pressure on rents. How do we know this? Because Amazon's original headquarters in Seattle has been pressured by just those things. Seattle recently tried to pass a head tax on Amazon, trying to tax them for every employee in the city which is one of the reasons why Amazon is fleeing to other parts of the country, or at least diversifying its, its labor base across other parts of the country. The reason there's been upward rent pressure in Seattle is because of serious restrictions on the sort of housing that people can build. You, know, you think developers wouldn't want to build and redevelop in Queens to build new housing as there's upward rent pressure? Of course they would. Right? Supply would then meet demand. But in New York, supply can't meet demand because it's almost impossible to build anything there and because heavy rent control regulations have prevented everyone from being able to rent at market prices, which means that people are being forced out of their apartments as apartment owners have started to, have, have started to figure out ways to toss people out. Rent control is legitimately the worst policy that you can pursue in an area with upward rent pressure and new employees. Here's what Alexandra Ocasio-Cortez tweets, though. She says the problem is not all the regulation. The problem is not even the tax subsidies. The problem is Amazon. Amazon is evil. How do we know Amazon is evil? Because it's a company, and companies are bad, according to Alexandra Ocasio-Cortez, whose entire employment history includes working at a bar, part-time, I guess, That's in, in, who has, by age 29, not saved enough money to be able to afford two months of rent in Washington, D.C., in expectation of a six-figure salary from the federal government. Here's what she tweeted out. Amazon is a billion-dollar company. The idea that it will receive hundreds of millions of dollars in tax breaks at a time when our subway is crumbling and our communities need more investment, not less, is extremely concerning to residents here. Well, number one, this is the part where I say she's sort of half right. She's right that Amazon should not be getting all sorts of tax breaks. Everybody in New York should be getting all sorts of tax breaks. She's wrong here, though, when she suggests that what we really need is more tax dollars poured into the MTA. $15 billion a year is spent on the MTA, more than the entire GDP of 70 counties in the United States. Okay, the, the MTA is not bankrupt because it's lacking tax dollars. The MTA is bankrupt because people are not actually paying what it costs to ride the subway. And every time there's a proposal to raise the subway fee in New York City, everybody cries about it, and then they just toss more taxpayer dollars at it, and then it doesn't get solved. And the fact is that, that the MTA requires higher, higher subway fees. I mean, that's just the reality of the situation. But she continues, and here's where it gets really bad for Alexandra Ocasio-Cortez, who does not understand free markets or even want to understand free markets. She says, when we talk about bringing jobs to the community, we need to dig deep. And here we get into the full-on socialist, not democratic socialist, socialist Alexandra Ocasio-Cortez, who wants to control the means of production. Because I want a part-time bartender figuring out how Amazon, a billion-dollar company, ought to run its business, a company, by the way, with 600,000 employees globally. I want Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez determining how exactly Amazon can maintain profit and also ensure employment. She says, when we talk about bringing jobs to the community, we need to dig deep. Has the company promised to hire in the existing community? Well, in this particular case, yes. I mean, they're not shipping in a bunch of people from Portland. What's the quality of jobs and how many are promised? Are these jobs low wage or high wage? Are there benefits? Can people collectively bargain? Okay, number one, the company is going to hire precisely the number of people that it needs to fill particular jobs because this is how markets work. 
As for the idea that Amazon is going to unionize, Amazon is not going to tolerate unions because Amazon does not need to tolerate unions. Amazon, again, employs hundreds of thousands of people. And if they were to raise the labor rates, presumably they would also lay some of those people off. This is what happens whenever there is a government-enforced attempt to raise wages. There's a backlash in terms of employment. In a second, I'm going to explain why Alexandra Ocasio-Cortez is so wrong here and why, unfortunately, she is, is her, her particular perspective on what government should do with business is not restricted to one side of the aisle. Well, we'll talk about that in just one second. First, let's talk about what you would do in case of disaster. So over where I live in Los Angeles right now, there are these major wildfires. They've caused people to have to evacuate their homes. Some folks can't get out to the market. Some people don't have access to all the, all the supplies that they need. Well, if you were in the path of a disaster, you would certainly be happy to know that you had all of the supplies necessary in order to survive. And that's why you need My Patriot Supply. You need a plan for food storage and water filtration when emergencies strike, protection from disaster, survival tools. Get those items at My Patriot Supply. My team here uses them, and you should too. They've helped over a million hardworking Americans become more self-reliant. My Patriot Supply sells hundreds of items, including emergency food kits, gravity-powered water filtration systems, at MyPatriotSupply.com. That's MyPatriotSupply.com. Could be an earthquake, a cyber attack that freezes the banking system. Could be a disaster that shuts down the power grid. There are plenty of bad eventualities that you could think of. And a lot of them actually happen. I mean, how many of you have experienced some sort of natural disaster? Certainly we in California have. For all these emergencies and more, get your supplies to be more self-reliant at MyPatriotSupply.com. No more rushing to find empty store shelves because you're too late. Do it now so you're prepared. MyPatriotSupply.com. That's MyPatriotSupply.com. Okay, so Alexandra Ocasio-Cortez again. She tweets that she wants to know what kind of jobs are going to be created by Amazon. And this has been the, the great sort of pitch that had been made by people like Bernie Sanders about Amazon. Ooh, they're not paying their workers enough. Okay, here is the reality of the situation. Amazon created 130,000 new jobs last year alone. The folks who are on food stamps are mainly part-time workers, and many of them, a huge number of them, are opting to work part-time. In the United States, the average hourly wage for a full-time associate in their fulfillment centers, including cash, stock, and incentive bonuses, is over $15 an hour before overtime, in addition to a full benefits package, including health, vision, and dental insurance, retirement generous, parental leave, and skills training for in-demand jobs through their career choice program, which has 16,000 participants, according to Amazon. So the idea that Amazon is just creating a bunch of crap jobs, this is the new argument that you saw a lot of people make about Walmart for years. It was not true about Walmart, and it is not true about Amazon either. That's not stopping Alexandra Ocasio-Cortez from mouthing off as though she knows what she's talking about when it comes to business. She says, displacement is not community development. So the idea is Amazon is coming in, and all these people are going to come in with them, and people are going to be displaced. Again, residential displacement is a result of rent control and prevention of developers from actually building new buildings and new rental units. That is how, you, honestly, you want to make sure that people can't afford to live in an area, ensure that there can only be a set number of units for a larger number of people. This creates upward price pressure. This is basic econ 101. Alexandra Ocasio-Cortez doesn't understand it. Sonny Bunch over at the Washington Examiner <clears throat> and the Weekly Standard, he had a very funny line about this. He said, you know, if she's so worried about displacement, you know what we could do? We create a company town, like we call it Prime Town. And in Prime Town, all the workers would have to live in Prime Town. They would have to live in the area and they would actually have to spend part of their paycheck with Prime Town and they would be given company scrip to spend on various products, and all of the services would be provided by that company. And nothing bad would ever happen. Right? If this idea sounds good to you, then you should think about every coal company in the 1930s and 40s that did have these company towns, 
and which ended up being wildly restrictive and preventing people from living free lives. You can't have it both ways. Either you want control from the top or you don't want control from the top. More on this in, in just one second. So Alexandra Ocasio-Cortez didn't stop there. She ripped on Amazon's job quality now that Amazon is moving to New York City, into Queens, because I'm sure what Amazon really wanted was to be harassed by Alexandra Ocasio-Cortez when they decided to move to Queens. She ripped on job quality. She ripped on, on displacement. She says, we need to focus on good health care, living wages, affordable rent. Corporations that offer none of those things should be met with skepticism. Okay, well, number one, a corporation that does not offer a living wage is not in business for very long because all of its employees are dead. That does not mean that all, of, all, all employers are paying what they should be paying. They're paying what the market will bear. And if people don't want to work for those companies, we live in a free country, they don't have to. It's not the job of a company to provide affordable rent. That is the job of the government to get out of the way. And she's talked about good health care. I wasn't aware that it's Amazon's job to provide good health care. It is their job to provide the incentives that allow people to work for them, including health insurance, if, if necessary. She says it's possible to establish economic partnerships with real opportunities for working families instead of a race to the bottom competition. If you think that it's a race to the bottom competition to bring in a company that has 25,000 employees into your area, I don't know what to tell you. She also, by the way, says investing in luxury condos is not the same thing as investing in people and families. Well, investing in condos is the same thing as investing in people and families because guess who lives in the condos, you moron? I mean, legitimately, this is a stupid point. Investing in new rental units is one of the ways that you provide housing to people. In fact, it is the chief way that you provide housing to people. And you know who occupies those luxury condos? All of the rich people who otherwise would be living in rent-controlled hovels in Queens. So shuffling working-class people out of a community does not improve their quality of life. Again, the only reason that those people would be shuffled out of the community is due to regulation. And finally, she concludes, lastly, this isn't just about one company or one headquarters. It's about the cost of living, corpse paying their fair share, etc., assuming corpus means corporations. It's not about picking a fight either. I was elected to advocate for our community's interests, and they've requested clearly to voice their concerns. Okay, well, what's your proposal? To ban Amazon? To force Amazon to pay higher taxes again so they can take all those jobs and leave? Right, to ensure that Amazon pays for affordable housing by presumably using the power of government to cram down on them? It's amazing how, how folks who are in favor of social control of the means of production are suddenly shocked when all of that turns out to be a giant failure. You can't have it both ways. Either you want your area to get nicer, which includes bringing in businesses that bring with them jobs and upward mobility and, indeed, upward rent pressures, or you can sit there and you can talk about how you're helping your community when you're actually not helping your community. It, it's, it's truly amazing when folks suggest that gentrification is terrible for a community, and then they decry that no jobs are coming to the community. You can't have it both ways. If jobs come to the community, it's because crime rates have gone down and because people are moving in who are trying to work at those companies and because economic pressures are moving rents up. Right? All those things come as a basket. There is no world in which rents stay the same with high regulations and yet more jobs come into the neighborhood. That has never happened in human history because it violates every basic law of human behavior and economics. It is amazing, though, to watch the conflict between Alexandra Ocasio-Cortez and Bill de Blasio. Bill de Blasio, of course, understands that he has to subsidize Amazon to come into New York City in order to overcome the burden of having to work with places like Queens with all of its regulatory, with all of its regulatory burdens. Now, the, the fact is that people like Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez and Bernie Sanders, they like to talk about the Nordic countries and how the Nordic countries are wonderful places to live. You know what the Nordic countries don't do? Tax their businesses at exorbitant rates. In the Nordic countries, the reason that their economies are able to work okay 
is because their economies are largely based on low business regulation and low cost of doing business in those states. Where Norway and Denmark and Sweden, where all those countries go off the rails when it comes to their domestic tax rates. And Alexander Ocasio-Cortez presumably wants those too. This is what she'll never tell you, what Bernie Sanders will never tell you. If, you, if, if she wants, if you want to pay for Alexandra Ocasio-Cortez's program, it's not enough for her just to glom onto Amazon and take away their profit margin. In the end, she's going to need to go to people who are middle class in the United States and take away all their money too. The tax rates in places like Denmark are 60% for people making above 50, 60 grand a year. And she's never going to tell you that. She's never going to tell you that because what she wants is to be able to tell you you can have everything. You can have low tax rates as a middle class person and you don't have to move out of your rent control department, and you can have a job from Amazon. That is not the way any of this works. Okay, in just a second, I want to talk to you about Jim Acosta and CNN, who are now suing President Trump. also want to talk about a situation that has broken out in the Gaza Strip in Israel. Few people are talking about it, but you only hear about it when Israel actually fights back, because that's the way this works first. However, let's talk about your back comfort. So when you got a back problem, it's the worst thing in the world. I've had my back seize up before after working out. I've had a sore back before. I've had situations where I've had to lie on just a flat hardwood floor. You know, it, it's really difficult when you've got a back problem to deal with it. And that's why you might need Teeter. The Teeter Inversion Table is just fantastic. With the Teeter Inversion Table, you use gravity and your own body weight to decompress your spine, relieve pressure on your discs and surrounding nerves. My personal trainer, Derek, he's a guy who has right now some pretty severe back problems. He's been using the Teeter Inversion Table. And he tells me it's really been helping. It makes him feel stretched out. It makes him feel sort of elongated and it elongates his spine, makes it makes him feel more comfortable. And I mean, this is a guy who's been in serious pain for a while. Decompressing on a teeter inversion table for a few minutes a day is a terrific addition to anyone's daily routine to maintain a healthy spine and an active lifestyle without the pain. I feel really good when I get off the teeter inversion table. I got one in my house. It decompresses the spine and it's good for my shoulders as well. They're offering a great deal right now just for my listeners. For a limited time, you can get the brand new 2019 Teeter Fit Spine Inversion Table Model with bonus accessories and a free pair of gravity boots. So you can invert at home or take the boots with you to the gym. Teeter Inversion Tables have thousands of reviews on Amazon. They are rated at 4.6 stars, and that's for a reason. With this deal, you get 150 bucks off when you go to teeter.com slash Ben. You also get free shipping, free returns, a 60-day money-back guarantee, so you really have nothing to lose. Remember, you can only get that new 2019 Teeter Fit Spine Inversion Table plus a free pair of gravity boots by going to teeter.com slash Ben. That's T-E-E-T-E-R dot com slash Ben. Go check it out right now. I've done my homework. This is the best inversion table on the market. Go check it out right now. Teeter.com slash Ben. Okay, meanwhile, the great battle of our time between Jim Acosta and Donald Trump continues because this is just what the country needs. This is what the country needs. CNN has now sued President Trump demanding the return of Jim Acosta to the White House, because presumably he has some sort of right to be in the White House. Now, it is true, the federal government is not allowed to engage in viewpoint discrimination. So the federal government cannot just decide that they don't want somebody covering the White House because they don't like the guy's viewpoint, right? That would be a violation of certain basic First Amendment precepts. And there's an argument to be made that President Trump is doing that with Jim Acosta, but that's not really what's happening with Jim Acosta, right? Because the fact is, 95% of the press room hates President Trump. 95% of the press room agrees with Jim Acosta, and Trump isn't banning any of those people. In reality, President Trump banned Jim Acosta because Jim Acosta would not give up his microphone and instead insisted on holding his microphone, overriding all the other reporters, and yelling at the President of the United States in the middle of a press conference. CNN is suing anyway. They're suing the Trump administration, demanding that Acosta's press credentials to cover the White House be returned. The administration revoked them last week, obviously. The lawsuit was filed Tuesday in Washington, D.C. District Court. 
CNN claims the revocation of Acosta's press pass violates the constitutional rights to freedom of the press and due process. CNN is asking for an immediate restraining order to return Acosta to the White House. There's no immediate comment from the administration. This seems like a, a sort of bizarre argument, again, because he did violate certain basic rules of the press room. When the White House suspended him, it said that it did so because he placed his hands on an intern who was trying to take the microphone from him. Really, it was, in my opinion, incidental contact, but CNN is making the claim that this is really about the president doesn't like Acosta, and so he doesn't want Acosta there. Again, I think that's a weak argument. President Trump hates every member of the press that he can find, including April Ryan, who has not had her press pass revoked in the White House. So there, there are plenty of people in the White House press room who President Trump cannot stand. All those people are still attending every single day. So the, the claim by CNN that this is simply about Trump doesn't like Acosta seems far-fetched to me. I, I, I don't buy it. Okay, meanwhile, in other news, it, it must be pointed out that there are hundreds of rockets a day that are now falling on Israel. I'm getting emails from people, videos from people who are legitimately living in their basements. They're living in bomb shelters right now across Israel because of hundreds of rockets that are descending from the Gaza Strip. Before you say this is because of the quote-unquote occupation, recognize that for 12 years, Israel has not been present in the Gaza Strip. The Gaza Strip is run by a terrorist group called Hamas. And that terrorist group has routinely used the Gaza Strip as a staging point for attacks on Israelis. They've built terror tunnels to try and kidnap Israelis. They've tried to breach the border in order to invade Israeli land. They've burned thousands of acres of Israeli lands with, with kites that have incendiaries attached to them and balloons that have incendiaries attached to them. And now they're firing rockets randomly into civilian areas. You're not seeing this covered in the media because the media don't care when Jews get killed in Israel. The media don't care about that. The media pretend to care about anti-Semitism in a serious way when Jews get killed in Pittsburgh because then they can try and blame President Trump and they can talk about right-wing anti-Semitism, which is a brand of anti-Semitism that does exist. When it comes to radical Muslim anti-Semitism, they go completely silent. For the same reason that President Obama once said about a radical Islamist attack on a kosher supermarket in France, that it was random. It wasn't anti-Semitic, it was a random attack. The idea that it is not the same anti-Semitism that drives Hamas attacks on Israeli civilians as drives attacks on a shul in Pittsburgh is a bunch of crap. It is simply nonsense. And what you're going to see from the press is nothing about the hundreds of rockets falling into the civilian areas of a democratic ally of the United States until Israel fights back, at which point you're going to see the press say, mighty Israel strikes the poor, quivering Palestinian population. And all the Palestinians have to do in the Gaza Strip is elect a government that is not Hamas. All they have to do is elect a government that wants to make peace with Israel and then open up their markets. And the capital would come flowing in. Gaza has some actual nice seaside territory. But they're not going to do that because there's an ideological, an ideological commitment to the destruction of Israel and the murder of Jews. These rockets are not directed at military installations. This is not a war. This is an attack on a civilian population very deliberately. And the media will ignore it up to the point when Israel fights back, at which point they will blame the Jews. That is in and of itself an aspect of leftist anti-Semitism that manifests itself every time the media cover the conflict between Israel and the Palestinian Authority and Hamas and Islamic Jihad. Every time that conflict breaks out, the media suggests that Israel is at the top of the, of the power hierarchy, and therefore Hamas's attacks on Israel are not really anti-Semitic, it's really about power relationships. And this is how they cover for radical Muslim anti-Semitism. But what we are watching right now, schools being hit, bakeries being hit, I mean, there's, there's 52 Israelis who have gone to hospitals thanks to bombs randomly falling in their midst. Again, hundreds of rockets being shot every day. I mean, this is the worst it's been in Israel since the 2014 Gaza War. It's really been quite awful over there. 
You can see the videos online that will never be covered by the mainstream media. There's a pretty heartbreaking video of a dog that had been, that had been fatally wounded by a rocket that just fell into a civilian area. Now, all of this, again, will be ignored by the global media up until the point at which Israel starts to defend itself, at which point Israel will be condemned for disproportionate force. And all of the people on the, on the left, like the J streets of the world, who will condemn Israel at that point, demonstrate exactly what it is that they are, which is a bunch of anti-Semitic enablers. If you're enabling all of this, then you are, then you are part of the problem. And meanwhile, in other news, over in Florida, the recount process continues to be a complete crap tornado. It's a disaster. Uh, according to Mark Caputo over at Politico, Broward election chief is likely to be forced from office by Rick Scott and Ron DeSantis. That makes perfect sense. That makes perfect sense because, again, she's awful at her job. Her name is Brenda Snipes. Here's what Mark Caputo writes. Counting unlawful votes, destroying ballots, sunshine law violations, busted deadlines. So many controversies have bedeviled Broward County election supervisor Brenda Snipes, culminating in her office's troubles in the aftermath of Florida's chaotic 2018 elections that her days in office are now numbered, insiders and lawmakers say. She was bound by law to start turning in election results within 24 hours of the, of the actual election taking place. Instead, it took her a week, and then she was suddenly discovering ballots coming in out of nowhere. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean election fraud took place, but one of the reasons that you want to have these laws on the books in the first place is to fully ensure that election fraud does not take place. Right? This is one of the things that we actually care about in the United States. It's quite important that we have these laws on the books. We want the no even appearance of impropriety. That's why we have sunshine laws. That's why we have reporting obligations. Brenda Snipes blew through all of those. The difference between the right and the left on this issue is the left keeps saying, well, we just want all the votes counted. No, you want all of the votes counted, including illegal votes. The right wants only legal votes counted and according to the process of law. That's a real differentiation. And it is amusing to watch the positions flip-flop when it comes to Florida and Georgia in Georgia, there are some election problems, and suddenly the Democrats are saying that election fraud took place and that they lost there because of election fraud. But when Republicans say that they're worried about election fraud in Florida, then all of a sudden it's the end of the republic. It's the end of the world when Republicans talk about the possibility of election fraud in Florida. When Democrats talk about election fraud in Georgia, then all of a sudden it's perfectly legitimate. When Democrats talk about how Trump stole the election because of the Russians, perfectly legitimate, not a threat to the democracy in any way. When Republicans talk about an actual official, Brenda Snipes, who has a history of destroying ballots and counting unlawful votes, when, when they talk about maybe that's a problem, then all of a sudden they're delegitimizing election results. Truly amazing. We'll discuss that more in just one second. But first, let's talk about how you can invest better. Robinhood. It's an investing app that lets you buy and sell stocks, ETFs, options, and cryptos, all commission-free. They strive to make financial services work for everyone, not just wealthy folks. It's a non-intimidating way for stock market newcomers to invest for the first time with true confidence. Okay, folks at our office use Robinhood, and they've shown me how it works. It is clear, and it is easy to use. They have easy-to-understand charts, market data. You can place a trade in just four taps on your smartphone. Also, it lets you view stock collections, like 100 most popular, or sectors like entertainment and social media. They have analyst ratings of buy, hold, sell for every single stock. And their commission fee is that there are none, right? There, there are no commission fees. Other brokerages charge up to 10 bucks for every trade. But with Robinhood, you trade stocks and you keep all of the profits. This is a, the, the best way to learn the stock market is simply by participating in the stock market. You can do that by using Robinhood. Robinhood right now is giving my listeners a free stock like Apple, Ford, or Sprint to help build your portfolio right now. Sign up at shapiro.robinhood.com. 
It's shapiro.robinhood.com. Go check it out. It's super user-friendly. It's really easy. And for a lot of my young listeners who are interested in getting into the stock market, it's a great introduction to the stock market. Shapiro.robinhood.com. Go check it out right now. Okay, well, I have a lot more to say on the Florida situation. Plus, I want to talk to you about the 2020 race and where Democrats be could be in danger of making a very large mistake. Plus, Michelle Obama made a pretty absurd comment that I want to talk about in just a second. But for all of that, you're going to have to go over to dailywire.com and subscribe. For $9.99 a month, you can get a subscription to Daily Wire. You get the rest of this show. You get the rest of the Andrew Clavin show. You get the rest of Michael Knowles' show. You also get early access to Another Kingdom. Don't miss the next chapter of Another Kingdom, which is our fictional series. It's really produced up. It's performed by the execrable Michael Knowles, who's a better actor than he is a human. Today, subscribers have exclusive access to Episode 7, The Secret of Horror Mansion also known as Hillary Clinton's Chappaqua home. If you're not a subscriber, you can listen to the entire episode on Friday via YouTube and SoundCloud. Only subscribers get to watch the full show. So go check that out right now. All sorts of great goodies that you get when you become a subscriber. Also, you get this, the very greatest in beverage vessels. The leftist here is hot or cold tumbler. I've used its on-the-road invisibility function, so it is, no, it, is, it is cloaked. The cloaking device has been activated. You can't see it right now, but it is that good. Also, just a reminder, if you happen to be in Columbus, Ohio tonight, I am speaking at the Ohio State University at 7 p.m. Eastern. You can watch me dismantle the left both in person and online at yaf.org slash live. We are streaming it live at yaf.org slash live. I hope to see you there. So again, lots of goodies. Please subscribe. It always helps us out. And go over to YouTube or iTunes and subscribe. Leave us a review over at iTunes. It helps us with the iTunes rankings. Go check us out over there. We're the largest, fastest growing conservative podcast in the nation. So again, Brenda Snipes is losing support from her fellow Democrats, and she faces the likelihood of a suspension by Governor Rick Scott or Ron DeSantis. That makes perfect sense. Again, she's been awful at her job. Senator Marco Rubio said this is not just the most troubled elections office in the state. It's the most troubled elections office in the nation. She has shown Brenda Snipes she's incapable of conducting a large, important election in a way that inspires public confidence and trust. She's been found to have destroyed ballots in violation of the law, opened absentee ballots early in violation of the law, misprinted ballots have gone out, and uh, naturally, she's so incompetent that Democrats are trying to blame Republicans at this point. Andrea Mitchell on MSNBC falsely tried to claim that Brenda Snipes was a Republican. We should also point out that Brenda Snipes in Broward County is a Republican appointed by former governor, then Governor Jeb Bush. So she was put in by a Republican governor after the mess that oh, we all remember from two, 2000. And she's hardly a Democratic uh, official. No, she's a Democratic official. She's, in fact, a Democratic official. She was replaced on the Broward County Elections Board by former Governor Jeb Bush when her predecessor was also terrible. She's a Democrat. She's a registered Democrat. She went on to win four elections to cement her hold on the heavily Democratic County's election machinery. So, yes, she's a Democrat. Trying to blame it on the Republicans is not exactly going to help. None of this is, is good for the state of the nation when it comes to elections. And by the way, you know, for all the folks in the media who keep claiming that Republicans are throwing elections into doubt. I will remind them that they have been doing this since Donald Trump won election in 2016. I will also remind them that over in Arizona, where Martha McSally sadly lost her election bid against insane person Kirsten Sinema, she has not claimed election fraud in any way, shape, or form. She has not claimed elections impropriety. A recount happened. She lost the recount, and she accepted the results of the recount because there wasn't this sort of elections impropriety. This is not stopping Democrats and folks in the media from claiming that Republicans are trying to overthrow democracy by calling for people to actually abide by the law in Florida. David Leonhardt, 
an opinion columnist over at the New York Times. He says, America finally has a pro-democracy movement, and it did very well at the polls last week. And he talks about measures to reduce gerrymandering and the attempts to, to finish gerrymandering. Okay, here's the reality. Well, all of the laws with regard to gerrymandering and voter ID, right, these are not laws designed to disenfranchise voters. Gerrymandering has always been a contentious partisan issue. It has never prevented a party from gaining power when there was a sweep. The, the, the notion that, that Republicans are standing against democracy, uh, it'll be interesting to see how many Democrats start calling for a, an end to gerrymandering now that Democrats control an enormous number of governorships. Suddenly, it seems like all of those concerns will simply go by the wayside. Meanwhile, Democrats also trying to claim that the White House is, is cracking down on the Mueller investigation, again, without evidence. There's a New York Times story out yesterday claiming that the White House is trying to use Matt Whitaker, the new acting attorney general, to crack down on the, on, on the Mueller investigation. There's not a lot of evidence to suggest that is the case. Again, anonymous sources from the New York Times says, people close to Mr. Trump believe he sent Mr. Whitaker to the department in part to limit the fallout from the Mueller investigation. White House aides and other people close to Mr. Trump anticipate that Mr. Whitaker will rein in any report summarizing Mr. Mueller's investigation and will not allow the president to be subpoenaed. We should investigate, by the way, we should investigate exactly what this language means. Quote, people close to Mr. Trump believe he sent Mr. Whitaker to the department in part to limit the fallout from the Mueller investigation, one presidential advisor said. Uh, who the hell is that presidential advisor? Are they still currently working with the White House? Not clear. If you're an outside the White House advisor, it could be Steve Bannon, who's just deciding to make trouble for people who are still inside the administration. It could be a lot of folks. But the minute that Matt Whitaker tries to shut down the Mueller investigation, he will immediately be shut down by Congress, and everybody knows it. Also, it's idiotic. If they actually tried to use Matt Whitaker, the acting attorney general, to shut down the Mueller investigation, come January, the Democrats are in control of Congress. You don't think that Robert Mueller will be called to testify in open testimony about Donald Trump if that happens? You don't think it would become just another point against Trump in an impeachment hearing on obstruction if you were to use the acting attorney general to shut down the Mueller investigation? And I don't believe this story at all, but it's not stopping the Democrats from claiming that Donald Trump is on the verge of shutting down the Mueller investigation. So all the talk about elections legitimacy and all the talk about democracy and all the talk about the process working as the process is supposed to work, it is Democrats who have been continuously claiming that the process didn't work how it was supposed to work in 2016 and who are claiming that President Trump is corruptly keeping his office now without any evidence that that is in fact the case. Now, all of that is, is pretty ugly. And it does speak to the radicalization of the Democratic Party that I'm not sure Nancy Pelosi can stave off. It's kind of fascinating to watch. The Democratic Party is now split between the moderate Nancy Pelosi wing. Yes, I said that phrase, moderate Nancy Pelosi wing. And I say moderate not because she's a moderate, but because compared to the intersectional coalition about to take over the Democratic House, she's a quote unquote moderate. And the so the, this is the battle, the intersectional coalition and Nancy Pelosi. There is a a piece by the New York Times, Cheryl Gay Stolberg writing, meet the new House Democrats. They may not tow the party line. She, there is a former NFL linebacker, a climate scientist, and a rapper with a Harvard Law degree. There's one immigrant from Somalia and another from Ecuador. There are two former CIA officials, an Air Force veteran, a former Navy helicopter pilot, and a retired Marine commander, all of them women, not to mention a pediatrician and a human rights advocate. But these and other newly elected House Democrats arrive in Washington for their orientation this week. They will reflect the most diverse, most female freshman class in history. The class is ideologically diverse as well. And herein lies the problem for Democrats. And we're going to get into that problem in just one second. So the big problem for Democrats is that their caucus is pretty fractious. Half their caucus realizes that there is severe danger in going too far to the left. 
that the Democrats who won, including Kirsten Sinema in Arizona, who campaigned as much more of a moderate than she actually is, right? she actually embraced the idea of sending troops down to the border, for example. She refused to come out in favor of other Democratic officials in her own state. And that's probably why she won in Arizona. And moderates won, but the radicals in the Democratic base are suggesting that they want more radicalism. More cowbell is the answer. Steve Phillips making that case in the New York Times says, do the math. Moderate Democrats will not win in 2020. He says, Andrew Gillum and Stacey Abrams, progressive African-American Democratic candidates, may not have won their races for governor in Florida and Georgia, but the strategy they followed is still the best strategy for Democrats to win, inspiring, mobilizing, and turning out voters of color and progressive whites. I've argued this strategy for years. In my 2016 book, I analyzed President Barack Obama's victories in the context of the country's changing demographics. The implications of the Gillum and Abrams races are profound. And, they learn, and learning the right lessons from 2018 is key for Democrats as they look ahead to the 2020 elections. It says, over the past 20 years, the best performing Democratic candidates in statewide elections in Florida and Georgia have been Mr. Obama, Mr. Gillum, and Ms. Abrams. This year, Ms. Abrams dramatically increased Democratic turnout, garnering more votes than any other Democrat running for any office in the history of Georgia. She did turn out heavy Democratic votes. She's still lost in Georgia. If she'd been a moderate Black Democrat in Georgia, then she probably would have won. She did not win because she was not, in fact, a moderate black Democrat, and she was unable to turn out enough suburban votes to bring her victory, even in an election where the Georgia 6th swung to the Democrats. So the Democrats are in danger of falling off a cliff with regard to their own radicalism. And that makes some sense. That makes some sense because the Democratic base is owned lock, stock, and barrel by the intersectional coalition built by Barack Obama. And this is a coalition built by the Obamas. And coming from people like Michelle Obama, like Michelle Obama is an eminently talented person. Uh, she is very charming on camera, but her mentality is an intersectional mentality. How do you know that? Because here's what she said when she talked about meeting Barack Obama for the first time. She said she was suspicious of Barack Obama because white people liked him. I have my suspicions when a bunch of white folks fawn on over a black man, because I sort of think, okay, he can talk straight. So they think he's wonderful. So. <laughs> Okay, I love that she's able to say this and get away with it. But imagine if there were a, a white woman who said about her husband, you know, I have my suspicions when a bunch of black people love my husband. Like that, that'd be really a problem, right? Michelle Obama can say that sort of thing because of the intersectional politics being pushed by the folks on the left. And this intersectional politics is actually Donald Trump's best bet for re-election. All he has to do is make an appeal to the suburbs on the basis of the radicalism of the Democrats. Again, this radicalism led by intersectional politicians and Bernie Sanders acolytes like Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez or Andrew Gillum. But the fact is that moderates were the ones who won the key elections across the country. Democrats are turning away from those moderates because they believe that they can go as radical as they want to be. They may be suckered into believing that they can run somebody supremely radical in 2020 and win. I don't think that that is actually the case. And I think that would be a huge mistake for Democrats to make, but it is their mistake to make. Now, a couple of, of quick notes that I think are, are necessary here. Uh, number one, uh, I, I really don't, I, I think because the Democratic base is so pandering toward intersectionality, it makes it very difficult for folks in 2020 like Kirsten Gillibrand. Kirsten Gillibrand, the senator from New York, who wants to run for president. She's a deeply dishonest politician. She has shifted her positions on everything from guns to abortion. She has done so specifically in order to pander to a far left base. Uh, she is, she's not good at her job. And she says that she wants to run for president in 2020. I think she has no shot at the nomination in 2020. 
Okay, so are you staying in the Senate or are you going to run for president? Well, um, I'm obviously very dedicated to serving New Yorkers, but that is a very important moral question that I've been thinking about. And I've been thinking about it because, as we said earlier, what President Trump has been putting into this uh, country is so disturbing, so divisive, so dark that uh, I believe that I've been called to fight as hard as I possibly can to restore that moral integrity, that moral decency. That um, sounds like a yes. So I'm thinking about it. Mm-hmm. Okay. You know, Hillary Clinton 2.0 over there, she ain't going anywhere in the primaries. And everybody knows she's going nowhere in the primaries. The folks who are going somewhere in the primaries are the folks who gain the love of the radical base. And this is Trump's best shot at victory, is for the Democrats to make an awful, awful mistake. Now, he could improve that by doing a better job reaching out to folks. But, you know, that, that isn't necessarily President Trump's thing. So we'll talk about all that in just a minute. Let's do, let's do a couple of things that I like and then a couple of things that I hate. So things that I like today. Uh, There is a new movie on Netflix that's kind of Braveheart light with Chris Pine. It's called Outlaw King, and it's about Robert the Bruce. And the the movie is is pretty good. I would say it would be better if it had a little bit more fleshed out character development. The best thing in it is Aaron Taylor Johnson, who's a really underrated actor. You remember him from the movie Kick-Ass. Also, I think he was the main character in 2014's Godzilla, another underrated film. Uh, Outlaw King is it's pretty good. Uh, it, it does not cover, William, basically it covers from when William Wallace dies and on. So you remember if the end of Braveheart, after William Wallace is drawn and quartered, which is an unpleasant way to go, uh, then there is the, the, uh, the long shot uh, of, the, of, the, of the field where his sword is, and then it says that uh, Robert the Bruce sort of picks up the sword uh, and ends up winning Scotland's freedom. Well, this is the movie where Robert the Bruce basically does that. Here's a little bit of the preview. Where's Robert? Where's your husband? It tears at the soul. Where's your brother? But it can also be a weapon. I'm done with running and I'm sick of hiding. Power is making decisions. And whatever course you are charting, I choose you, my husband. I will say this. The film has some of the best battle sequences, ancient battle sequences I've ever seen. I mean, there's one night battle in a forest. The sequence is pretty stunning. Uh, And then there is a a battle sequence near the end uh, that is is fully spectacular. I mean, it's, it's it's an incredible battle sequence, brutal and historically accurate. The film itself is pretty historically accurate as well. Uh, I, th- I think that it's worth watching. It's very brutal. I mean, I, I will say that this this movie is not for the faint of heart. There's a lot of blood and there's a lot of guts, and I mean like actual guts. So if that's your sort of thing, then you'll like Outlaw King. If it's not, then you probably will not. Okay, time for a couple of things that I hate. Okay, so first thing that I hate, this is just a, a terrible story. A police officer in Chicago allegedly killed a black security guard who was holding down a suspected shooter at a bar he worked for, according to Paul Bois over at Daily Wire. According to the Huffington Post, Jamel Roberson, 26, was working early Sunday at Manny's Blue Room, which is a bar in the predominantly black Chicago suburb of Robbins, Illinois, when a patron who was part of a drunken group that had been kicked out returned with a gun at 4 a.m. and opened fire. Several people were shot. Now, you normally wouldn't hear that story because it's a Chicago shooting. Only mass shootings that occur uh, in non-Chicago are ever covered by the media. Armed at the time, Roberson actually did the right thing. He grabbed one of the suspected shooters and then held him down and waited for the police to arrive. He had somebody on the ground with his knee in his back, with his gun in his back, like, don't move. And apparently, allegedly, when the police arrived, 
An officer with the Midlothian Police Department shot Roberson, who later died at the hospital. Witnesses said they did everything to warn the confused officer of Roberson's innocence in the ensuing chaos. According to Adam Harris, who's one of the witnesses, he says, just waiting on the police to get there. I guess when the police got there, they probably thought he was one of the bad guys because he had his gun on the guy and they shot him. Everybody was screaming out security. He was a security guard and they still did their job and they saw a black man with a gun and basically killed him. So this is implying that the, there is a racial motive here. Maybe there was a racial motive. Not clear at this point whether it was racially motivated since everybody, security guard and shooters, were, were black apparently. In the situation, we don't know the race of the officer either. Whatever it is, this is either a tragic mistake or negligence. Uh, whatever it is, it's really bad. Okay, Obviously, there are too many police officers out there meaning more than one, who are ill-trained and are quick on the trigger in bad situations. And a good man just got killed because of it. And that, I think, has more to do with bad police training than it does with racism, although we'll have to wait to see all the facts of this particular case. Uh, whatever it is, not good stuff. Okay, other things that I hate. So Stan Lee passed away yesterday, which is, which is really sad. Uh, it's, it's never quite as sad when somebody dies at age 95. right? I mean, that in and of itself doesn't carry the same sort of tragic weight as somebody dying before their time. 95 is definitely a full life. And Stanley led certainly a full life. He was responsible for Spider-Man, the X-Men, Thor, Iron Man, Black Panther, and the Fantastic Four. Pretty full career. He began in the business in 1939, and he created or co-created an enormous number of characters. He's basically responsible for the Marvel Universe. His final few years were tumultuous, according to The Hollywood Reporter. After Joan, his wife of 69 years, died in July 2017, he sued executives at Powell Entertainment, a company he founded in 2001 to develop film, TV, and video game properties for a billion dollars, alleging fraud, then abruptly dropped the suit weeks later. He also sued his ex-business manager. So you know, once people get older, sometimes things get kind of rough. But what he's going to be remembered for, obviously, is all the characters that he created and were beloved to teenagers and, uh, and adults now across the world. Uh, Mar Lee, by the way, had no rights to the characters he helped to create, and he didn't receive any royalties on them, but he still died an extraordinarily wealthy man, obviously. Uh, his story is an all-American story. He got a job as a gopher for eight bucks a week at Marvel's predecessor, Timely Comics. Two years later, he wrote a two-page story titled The Trader's Revenge that was used as a text filler to qualify the, the company for the inexpensive magazine mailing rate, and he used the name Stan Lee, uh, the pen name Stan Lee, because his actual name was Stanley Martin Lieber. Uh, so... Uh, pretty pretty great story, and uh, obviously, I think everybody's thankful to Stanley for the characters he created and that we enjoy. Okay, uh, other things that I hate. Final things that I hate. Um, you know, President Trump decided that he would go off on France. Uh, you know, th this is not a thing that I hate. It's a thing I slightly dislike. I think is is fair. Now, the president needs to stop feeding his id. It's not going to happen, but he needs to stop feeding his id. If you don't want to alienate folks, then you shouldn't look like you are responsive to every criticism. And the president was criticized by Emmanuel Macron, the president of France, while he was over in France. And he could have made a speech explaining what nationalism is, what patriotism is, what America stands for. It would have been a great opportunity to do that in the aftermath of Macron's statement. Instead, he went on Twitter and whined about French wine. I kid you not, he said, on trade, France makes excellent wine, but so does the US. The problem is that France makes it very hard for the US to sell its wines into France and charges big tariffs whereas the U.S. makes it very easy for French wines and charges very small tariffs. Not fair. Must change. I'm fine with the idea that France should lower its tariffs on American wine, but it's weird that this sprang to mind immediately after the French were ripping President Trump. I mean, it's just, I don't think that's a big coincidence. Also, he then ripped into uh, Macron directly. He said, the problem is that Emmanuel suffers from a very low approval rating in France, 26%. 
and an unemployment rate of almost 10%. He was just trying to get onto another subject. By the way, there's no country more nationalist than France. Very proud people, and rightfully so. And then he tweeted out, all caps, make France great again. Okay, number one, that assumes France was ever great. But second of all, uh, the, the, the tendency of the president of the United States to go mano y mano with anyone who insults him. He's the president of the United States, the most powerful man on earth. You don't actually need to do this, Mr. President. And I think that this is uh, not worthwhile or useful. So, you know, just my suggestion. He doesn't, have to, he doesn't have to take it. Also, he tweeted out, Emmanuel Macron suggests building its own army to protect Europe against the U.S., China, and Russia. But it was Germany in World Wars I and II. How did that work out for France? They were starting to learn German in Paris before the U.S. came along. Pay for NATO or not. Again, I'm all for a good French joke about the Germans. But with, with that said, you can't simultaneously say you don't want to pay for NATO anymore and that NATO is not in America's interest and that the EU is not in America's interest and then be upset when the Europeans start to form contingency plans to defend against things like Russia. Uh, so that is what it is. All right, well, we will be back here tomorrow with all the latest tonight. We are in Columbus, Ohio at the Ohio State University. We look forward to seeing you there if you're in town. If not, you can stream it online at yaf.org live. We'll see you then. I'm Ben Shapiro. This is The Ben Shapiro Show. The Ben Shapiro Show is produced by Senya Villarreal, executive producer Jeremy Boring, senior producer Jonathan Hay. Our supervising producer is Mathis Glover, and our technical producer is Austin Stevens, edited by Alex Ingaro. Audio is mixed by Mike Caramina. Hair and makeup is by Jesua Alvera. The Ben Shapiro Show is a Daily Wire Ford Publishing production. Copyright Ford Publishing 2018. We'll get to more on this in just one second first. Pure Talk believes in American values and that free should mean, you know, like free. So when you switch to Pure Talk today, you'll get a free Samsung 5G smartphone. There's no four-line requirement, no activation fee, just a free Samsung that's built to last with a rugged screen, quick charging battery, and top-tier data security. Qualifying plans start at just 35 bucks a month for unlimited talk, text, 15 gigs of data, and a mobile hotspot. Pure Talk gives you phenomenal coverage on America's most dependable 5G network. It's the same coverage you know and love, but for half the price of the other guys. The average family saves almost $1,000 a year. So I challenge you to choose a company that actually doesn't hate your guts and shares your values. Let Pure Talk's expert U.S. customer service team help you make the switch today. Go to puretalk.com Shapiro to claim your eligibility for your free brand new Samsung 5G smartphone and start saving on wireless today. Again, go to puretalk.com Shapiro to switch to my cell phone company. I've been using them for years. They're fantastic. You'll love them as well. Go to puretalk.com Shapiro and claim your eligibility on that free brand new Samsung 5G smartphone. Start saving.